The story you're about to hear is about the power of greed, the power it has to corrupt each and every one of us and to lure us down paths we ought never to have stepped foot on. I must warn you, before we venture any further, that this story is not for the faint-hearted. If you're young and easily frightened, do not attempt to be brave. Turn this episode off right now, or at the very least, go and fetch your parents. We begin our tale in the state of Pennsylvania in the year 1990. Our protagonist, 21-year-old Leanne Wentworth, sat nervously on a passenger train, watching the overcast countryside fly by and nervously counting down the minutes until she would reach her destination, the house of her uncle, Eugene Wentworth. His letter of invitation had reached her earlier that month. Dear Leanne, it must seem strange to you to receive this letter from me. You're a estranged uncle. I've been, I've been recently, recently reflecting upon, upon the old adage, adage. Blood is thicker than water. And it is now in this part of my life that I realize how important it is to rekindle all familial relationships. For this reason, you are cordially invited to my humble home in Stapleton Valley for a period of relaxation and replenishment. I do hope you are able to make it here soon. My house is located on 23 Lexington Road, north of the train station. You can't miss it. P.S. It's a shame that your late father and I had that falling out years ago. I hope life has not been too difficult since his death. Your uncle, Eugene. Leanne placed the letter neatly back into her pocket. Life had been difficult since her father's death. Wanting to escape the pain of his loss, as well as her overbearing stepmother, she had spent the past few years traveling, trying to distract herself from her broken life. But every free-spirited life requires a financier, and her funds had, in recent months, severely diminished. Perhaps the strangest part of this letter was that, aside from a meeting or two as a child, she hardly knew Uncle Eugene. She remembered him as a rather poor and eccentric soybean farmer who lived alone with his cats and drank cherry-flavored soft drinks. But his offer of relaxation and replenishments was certainly enough to attract a homeless and penniless traveler such as herself. Here we go. Leanne grabbed her backpack and made her way towards the exit. She was now moments away from entering the house belonging to the quite peculiar and mysterious Eugene Wentworth. you had a time machine, would you use it for something important? Or would you use it for something a bit trivial or even a bit silly? Join us as we hear the stories of those who've traveled through time and the lessons they learned along the way. It's time for a bit of time travel. Today's episode, The Centimorgans in the Crypt. 
As soon as Leanne stepped off the train, she found herself in a particularly ill-tempered tempest. Wind and rain blew from every direction, drenching her instantly from head to toe. She pressed onward, traveling over a river and through a wood and straight through an old barnyard gate, until she spotted a tall and palatial mansion sitting in the middle of an open field. Although it bore no resemblance to the house she once visited as a child, the mailbox at the edge of the property indicated that this was indeed her uncle's house, 23 Lexington Road. Before she had taken another step, she spotted a hooded man walking rapidly towards her. First be the one who steals from another. Thoroughly frightened, Leanne hurried as fast as she could across the field until she arrived at the doorstep. A large oak door swung open as she pounded on it, causing her to stumble face first into a dark room. Is that you, Leanne? Leanne looked up. There, walking towards her from out of the darkness, was a tall man with dark, slicked-back hair, oily skin, and a gaunt frame, holding a lantern close to his face. Leanne, how glad I am that you could make it. It's good to see you too, Uncle Eugene. Well, come in, come in. (laughs) I hope your journey here was not too traumatic. I heard our neighbor, Mr. Puddlebroth, howling outside, and naturally I was concerned. He wasn't too bothersome, was he? He he often forgets to take his medication at this time of day and... No, he was okay. It was no trouble at all. Good. Oh, uh, where are my manners? Here. I'm keeping you in the dark. Allow me to flip this switch right here. Ah, that's much better. The lights turned on to reveal a room the likes of which Leanne had never seen before. It shined and shimmered, and upon closer look was furnished with eye-opening luxuries and amenities. Leanne gawked at the marble flooring, the diamond-encrusted armchairs and sofas, the beautifully framed paintings of ladies and noblemen, the statues of gods and goddesses, and, in the center of the room, the ornate chocolate fountain. A fountain that, as soon as her eyes fell upon it, reminded her of just how hungry she was. Would you like something to eat? That would be great, thank you. He led her down various hallways, passing various rooms where she spotted an indoor pool, a bowling alley, a private gym, and large luxurious bedrooms featuring diamond chandeliers, priceless monets, beds with gold-encrusted duvets, and aged chardonnays. They entered the dining room where they dined on lobster and foie gras, and where she was asked many questions, from the places she'd traveled to, to the places she dreamed of one day visiting and it was toward the end of dinner that Leanne found the courage to ask the question that had been on her mind since her arrival. How on earth did you become so wealthy? By the looks of this place, you must be a billionaire. <laughs> no, not quite, but it is true that my fortunes have changed. <sighs> Look at the time. Perhaps that story ought to be saved for another day. You must be awfully tired from your journey. A little. Then it is time for bed. Uh, Mrs. Lewis, would you be so kind to show Miss Leanne to her room? Who? Strange. I wonder where she went. After some discussion about who Mrs. Lewis was, where she was, and what was taking her so long to arrive, Eugene suddenly remembered that the old housekeeper had in fact died some time ago and would most likely not be appearing anytime soon. 
He lit a lamp and led her down dark hallways, up What's narrow winding staircases, and down narrower winding staircases, until they arrived at a large bedroom with a four-poster bed and large balcony windows overlooking the grounds. Good night, Uncle. Thank you so much for everything. Good night, Leanne. I hope you sleep well. I wish I could say that Leanne drifted off to sleep that night, feeling as though she had never felt cozier in her life. I wish I could say she felt pure joy being surrounded by such extravagance and that she immediately decided then and there to end her nomadic way of life, to remain at her uncle's home for months on end, finding the peace her heart so utterly desired. How I wish the story might have ended here, happily. The truth is, Leanne had a secret, a dark one. Perhaps he'd been too distracted by the peculiarity of her uncle to notice? She is certainly not this story's wholesome and virtuous character. Not at all. You see, Leanne Wentworth was nothing more than a thieving vagabond. Department stores would find clothes missing after she visited, restaurants would learn all too late that she had dined and dashed, and her friends would discover pieces of jewelry missing days after her departure. To Leanne, stealing had become as natural and as effortless as breathing. It was, as she would rationalize it to herself each day, the only thing she could do to support her free-spirited lifestyle. And once again, at around 2 a.m., Leanne felt her purloining fingers grow restless. She hurled herself out of bed and began rummaging through drawers and dressers, venturing down random hallways into random rooms, snatching necklaces, lockets, candlesticks, and paintings, and any other valuables she could find. 45 minutes later, Leanne was dragging a large burlap sack of clanging objects toward the front door, a greedy twinkle in her eye. Don't forget an umbrella. Uncle Eugene! Uh, this, this isn't what it looks like. Not to worry, Leanne. Take it. Take it all. I've always wanted to be a help to the family. You're... wait, you're not upset? Nah, of course not. I'm rather flattered that you found my item so... Alluring. I don't get it, Uncle. I don't get you. How do you do it? How is it that you have all these things? I earned it through hard work, Leanne. It's in a farmer's blood to make his living through hard work. Thieving ought to be beneath us all. And it ought to be beneath you, too. <sighs> Look, if you take a seat, I'll tell you the whole story. And after that, you may leave with whatever items you wish. Do we have a deal? Deal. I suppose it all began nearly four years ago on a hot summer's day. I was out in the fields picking soybeans when I saw in the distance a truck strike a deer before toppling over into the culvert. I ran over to it as quickly as I could, and there I pulled from the wreckage a man with a large head injury muttering to himself. And right before he breathed his last breath, he told me. You must destroy it. Destroy what? Just hold on. I'll call an ambulance. No. No, it's, it's too late. You you must promise me. You, you must destroy what's in the back of the truck. Do not use it. Do not let anyone else use it. It'll bring you nothing but trouble. What was it? A time machine. You're kidding. I used it, of course. Who wouldn't have? 
The first thing I did was to go see Angela Lansbury perform on Broadway. Terrific actress, by the way. After the show ended, I overheard two men in the lobby talking about a gold rush occurring in the Amazon. They say it's going to end up being one of the largest gold deposits ever found. <laughs> what I wouldn't do to get my hands on some of that gold. Well, why don't you go? I'll tell the boss you'll be out sick this month. Yeah, right. Not a chance of me finding anything at this point. Not with thousands of people there already. I tell you, if I'd have gotten there first, I would have been a rich man. <laughs> you got that right. And that's when an idea popped into my head. What if I went back in time to each gold rush, before the rush, to the very moment when gold was discovered? I've been to the Cripple Creek Gold Rush, the Carolina Gold Rush. I've even traveled all the way up to the Yukon and made a hearty Klondike bounty. No, I didn't strike out like so many others did in those days. I had the knowledge of history on my side, but I realized quickly that finding the gold would be only half the challenge. I knew that if I just returned to present day carrying bags of gold, people would be awfully suspicious of me. They'd assume I had stolen it from someplace. I knew buyers would need to know the exact source of the gold. And that meant they needed to hear a story. A believable one. So regardless of where I prospected, I would pack a wagon full of gold and make the long trek back to this farm. Now you probably know already that the Wentworths have owned these 65 acres for nearly two centuries. But I bet you didn't know that many Wentworths also served as preachers, running a small church in the northeastern corner of this land. The church was torn down sometime around the Great Depression, but the underground crypt still exists. Before returning to the present, I would break into the back of the church, make my way down to the crypt, and bury the gold underneath the dirt flooring of one of the empty rooms. Once I disposed of it all, I returned to present day, alerted a newspaper. I pretended that I had made a remarkable discovery on my land, and I've been selling the gold to interested buyers ever since. Look, that's a really remarkable story, Uncle, but... It's the truth. If it is, then why tell me? The doctor says I don't have many years left, you see. And... Now, I don't really want to get into all that right now. The point is, I could die a happy man knowing that a Wentworth was continuing to reap the machine's rewards. Now after tonight, my instincts were confirmed. You are exactly the right person to continue what I've started. Why after tonight? <laughs> well, for one thing, you've shown me that there's no one else in our family who hungers for riches quite like you. Well, what do you think? Leanne didn't know what to think. Was this just some crazy story from a crazy man? Part of her still wanted to leave to grab the sack of treasures and never return. But what if it were all true? What if this was the only way to escape destitution once and for all? Of course, there was really only one way to test the validity of her uncle's claims. Where's the machine? We will now do something quite remarkable and move our story both forward and backwards to the year 1848. And in doing so, introduce you to a figure named James W. Marshall. 
James Marshall had recently finished fighting in the Mexican-American War, and he returned to his ranch one day to discover that all of his cattle had died. Suddenly penniless, he searched for work until he was one day tasked by a man named John Sutter, founder of Sutter's Fort in Kelowna, with constructing a sawmill. And it was during the construction of this sawmill that James was walking beside a river one morning and noticed golden speckles at the bottom of it. Oh my goodness, why, it looks like gold. Unfortunately for James, word of this remarkable discovery reached his hired hand, who immediately stopped working on the mill and began frantically searching for gold in the river. Now you all get back here. Never you mind what's in that river. As a result, in a very short time, poor James Marshall lost his entire crew. A crew that had been made up of veterans of the Mormon Battalion, local Native Americans, as well as two newer recruits from out east, a Sir Eugene Wentworth and his niece Leanne. James Marshall would never find riches, but Eugene and Leanne Wentworth sure would. While the other prospectors sifted through the waters with their bare hands, Eugene, having years of experience under his belt, used methods not yet invented in 1848, spraying down the sides of nearby gravel mountains with hydraulic cannons, resulting in the discovery of multiple river veins rich in gold nuggets. <laughs> what did I tell you, Leanne? The two worked around the clock. When one was working, the other was sleeping, making food, or fighting off marauders. They worked quickly. They had to. They knew that within a few short months, hordes of gold-hungry prospectors would come flooding into the area. When one river vein dried up, they'd set up camp somewhere else, covering great distances throughout the Sierra Nevada. Good night, Uncle. Good night, Leanne. As Leanne learned quickly, this was no get-rich-quick scheme. This took time and effort, the sort of effort that made her feel tired and fulfilled as she went to sleep each night. And as the weeks progressed, she started to realize the real reason why her uncle had brought her here. To change her. To teach her the satisfaction of a hard day's work. To teach her there was nothing at all satisfying about her life of easy crime. Had he known about her tendencies before he invited her? Had her stepmother told him, perhaps? It didn't matter. None of it mattered anymore. In the end, he had extended to her what he had also been given. A bit of luck. A chance to gain wealth by earning it. By working hard. Their adventure ended in the spring of 1849. Once two large wagons were stuffed to the brim with gold, they made the long trip back to the Pennsylvania homestead. We're rich, Uncle! We're rich! I'm gonna buy everything. I'm gonna buy a house. No, wait, an island. I'll buy a house on an island, and no one will ever find me or bother me ever again. A splendid idea, Leanne. A splendid idea. They arrived at the Wentworth farm in the dead of night, steering the wagons up a dirt path towards a white church with a tall steeple. Eugene broke a window in the back and they snuck down a narrow staircase towards the dark, cold crypt. This is the room I hid all the gold in during my first few trips. We'll hide our gold in this adjacent one right over here. And it'll stay hidden here for the next 150 years? <laughs> Let's hope. They labored throughout the night, lugging bags of gold back and forth, from the wagon to the crypt, burying each bag deep underneath the dirt flooring. After the last one was buried, they poured the dirt back into the hole and flattened the earth again. The sun was just beginning to rise by the time they finished. You did well, Ian. Very well. 
Thanks. So what's the plan now? Now we go home. To our own time. And we'll alert the newspapers of our second discovery. Soon enough, buyers will be visiting from all over to purchase it all. <coughs> now let me see if the time machine is still in the back of the crypt where we left it. In the meantime, would you mind flattening out that corner over there? It looks a little uneven. Sure thing. Now let's see. Where did I leave that shovel? Um, Uncle Eugene? The door closed. Uh, um, Uncle Eugene? To understand why the door wasn't opening, and for that matter, why Uncle Eugene was not answering, we must go back and observe the events that occurred several months before this story began, focusing on a character that has, most likely by now, evaded your memory, Mr. Puddlebroth. Must be the one who steals from another. <laughs> Mr. Puddlebroth lived by his lonesome in a small log cabin on the land neighboring the Wentworth estate. One morning, he awoke, poured himself some coffee, and sat down with his daily newspaper. Let's see what's in the newspaper this morning. Coffee came shooting from his nose as he read the news that his neighbor, Eugene Wentworth, had found over $20 million worth of gold nuggets buried within an old crypt on his land. It wasn't until much later, as Mr. Puddlebroth watched Eugene's house grow larger in size and delivery trucks increase in visits, that he remembered something his grandfather had mentioned long ago. What was it he said to me? This particular memory propelled him to quickly return home, climb up to his attic, and search among various boxes until he located, just as he remembered, a deed of sale. The deed told an interesting story, though once Eugene heard it, not a very pleasant one. It turns out that, in 1929, in order to save the Wentworth family from financial ruin during the Great Depression, Eugene's grandfather had quietly sold a small portion of his 65-acre land over to Mr. Puddlebroth's grandfather, specifically the land where the old church sat. And because of this discovery, Mr. Puddlebroth's lawyer was able to effortlessly argue in court, Your Honor, since the land upon which the gold was found legally belongs to the Puddlebroth family, we believe that all of the gold discovered on it, including all the purchases Mr. Wentworth made with that gold, should be ceded immediately to Mr. Puddlebroth. Understandably furious, Eugene hired a pack of lawyers to argue in turn. Your Honor, what Mr. Puddlebroth's lawyer says is outrageous. It's obvious that the gold belongs to the Wentworth family, since it was they who owned the church above where the gold was found. The gold was obviously not intended to be part of the sale of the land. What may seem obvious does not matter, Mr. Wentworth. I'm afraid that the law in this case is clear. I must side with Mr. Puddlebroth, who is the rightful owner of the land, as rightful ownership of whatever is found on his land. According to Pennsylvania law, the purchasing of any land includes any lost or abandoned items on it. Before court was adjourned, the judge mentioned that there was really only one way for Eugene, as the sole inheritor of his ancestor's estate, to claim the contents within the crypt. Although lost or abandoned items are legally Mr. Puddlebroth's, so-called mislaid items are not. In other words, Mr. Wentworth, if you can prove that the gold was left behind by your ancestors for the purpose of safekeeping, with the intention of being picked up again one day, but that for some reason your ancestors simply forgot to do so, the gold can then be legitimately claimed by you. The judge granted Eugene and his lawyers 100 days to find any evidence that this sort of situation occurred. Of course, Eugene knew he could not provide the courts with any such evidence, since the gold was buried by him alone. 
how he wished he'd been made aware of the fact that Mr. Puddlebroth owned that land before spending so many years storing his gold there. We'll figure something out, Eugene. We'll find the evidence. Where are you going? Eugene? I can't believe I just wasted four stinking years of my life. But he wasn't going to give up. Not yet, anyway. Eugene Wentworth spent the following weeks pacing up and down his hallways, thinking, brainstorming, and agonizing over how he might claim legal ownership of his gold. One evening, while wanting to distract himself from his troubles, Eugene snatched a book from one of his shelves and sat down to read. He discovered very shortly after sitting down that he had chosen one of the most boring books in the world, Fundamentals of Genetics, Volume 2. He was just about to toss it aside when his eye caught sight of the curiously titled chapter, Everything You Need to Know About Centimorgans. Centimorgans are units for measuring the genetic distance between relatives. Hmm. Well, now that's very interesting. And as he read through the chapter, a scheme formed in his mind. A scheme that could only be accomplished with the assistance of his globe-trotting niece he'd heard about in recent letters. The niece with a knack for stealing things. With a mischievous grin, he sat down and penned the invitation that Leanne was heard reading at the beginning of this tale. Is it not clear by now? Do you not understand? It was Eugene himself who closed the door on poor Leanne, who locked it and placed the sole key in his pocket. You see, immediately after doing so, Eugene traveled back to present day 1990, where he provided his lawyers with the key to that same room. All right, let's see what we have in here. What in the world? Everyone, step back! It was in this room of the crypt that the lawyers found, in addition to the gold buried beneath the dirt floor, the skeletal remains of a female. A female who, after much lab work, was discovered to have died over 125 years ago and who, genetically, shared exactly 993 centimorgans with Eugene Wentworth. The same genetic distance between Eugene and a small number of relatives, such as an aunt or a niece, or the option that Eugene's lawyer effortlessly argued in court, a great-grandmother. Eugene's great-grandmother Gertrude, to be precise. But it was a letter that was found tucked away in the corner of the room that ultimately helped the judge rule in favor of Eugene. A letter that Eugene himself had left moments before shutting the door on Leanne. This letter reads, This gold is my life's treasure. I've kept it here only temporarily for safekeeping, with the intention of removing it at a future time to give to my future heirs. Sincerely, Gertrude Wentworth. And that is how, in 1990, Eugene Wentworth proved to the court that he was the rightful owner of the gold in the crypt, and how he continued selling its contents for many years, growing richer and richer, until his eventual demise in 2017. Today, if you were to ask the residents of Stapleton Valley about these events, many would say they remembered feeling happy when they heard Eugene got to keep his possessions. They would say that Eugene had suffered a difficult year, that not only did he spend most of it wrapped up in court proceedings, but it was also that same year that he had received some rather distressing news about his beloved niece, Leanne Wentworth, who went missing and who is still considered missing to this very day. The Centimorgans in the Crypt was written and produced by Ben Kempf. 
This episode's music was composed by Benjamin Crispin, and our theme was composed by Garrett Vandenberg. Today's voice talent includes Mark LaPointe, Danny LaPointe, Peter Fasari, Micah Touche, Glenn Haskell, and Jared Weikert. Thank you for joining us for a bit of time travel. See you next time. Thank you.